Have You Seen podcast, where every episode I watch a movie that I have never seen before and give you my thoughts on it. This is season one, episode five, and I am your host, Heather. Only one more episode to go before we are on to season two. Crazy. I hope you are enjoying everything so far. Feedback is always welcome, as well as new movie suggestions. This episode, I'm going to be talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Confession, I have seen this maybe once. I say maybe because I genuinely do not remember. Now, if you are one of my friends or family and you're sitting there thinking, but we watched this together and this thing happened and it was a great time, how could she not remember this? Please don't be offended. I probably remember having a good time with you as like a general concept, but the specifics are gone. I have a super fun mix of ADD and anxiety and whatever that just really means I have a terrible memory. So since that part is out of the way, yeah, I don't ever remember seeing this movie. I think Ferris is in a parade at some point and I remember the scene where the teacher is calling his name over and over. Yep, that sums up everything I know. All right, on to the description and the trailer. So, Mr. Ferris Bueller has a 79 critic score and, ooh, finally some controversy here, a 92% audience score. This leads me to believe that this movie has some major plot holes or something, but if you can move past all that, it's still an enjoyable film to watch. And honestly, a 79% critic score is not that bad. It's higher than 10 Things I Hate About You, at least. Let's see what we're in for. Ferris Bueller has an uncanny skill at cutting classes and getting away with it. Intending to make one last duck out before graduation, Ferris calls in sick, borrows a Ferrari, and embarks on a one-day journey through the streets of Chicago. On Ferris's trail is high school principal Rooney, determined to catch him in the act. Okay, so this is a high school hijinks movie. Solid. Ferris sounds like one of those guys that never gets into any trouble because he's just so likable and cool. Let's see if the trailer gives anything away. <laughs> so, right off the bat, thank you, teenage boy, for telling me to stop and enjoy my life as if you haven't mostly just been running around enjoying your life up until this point. And looks like I'm correct. Ferris is a little bleep who never gets in trouble because he is a righteous dude. And that girl from the trailer who is rightfully super annoyed with him is probably going to fall in love with him by the end of the movie. I'm going to call that now. Okay, so I'm already annoyed with this Ferris character, so can't wait to watch a movie where the guy who has probably gotten away with everything under a boys-will-be-boys mentality continues to do so for an hour and 43 minutes. Fantastic. Let's go watch the movie. So number one thing to say here is that the girl who is super annoyed with Ferris in the trailer is his sister, Jeannie. Not a love interest. Whoops, I called that one wrong. <clears throat> Moving along then, I think the best way to talk about this movie is to talk about each of the characters individually. Really go through all the bananas choices that are being made here by each one of them. Let's start with Miss and Mr. Bueller. So right off the bat, we can see that they have a favorite child, and this continues to be a theme throughout the film. 
I've seen this happen before where the male kiddo is doted on and treated with such a lackadaisical attitude and the female kid has a super strict set of rules and a weird predetermined set of morals to adhere to. I 100% believe that even if Jeannie was sick, her parents would have made her go to school while Ferris gets to stay home for nothing. Mr. Bueller is such a minor character in this film, but he is definitely the most unobservant. He straight up looks at his son like four times in this movie and doesn't recognize him. I can ignore some of the narrow misses and the close calls, but when Ferris is running home at the end and his father looks him straight in the face and just brushes it off. What? Then Mr. Bueller says in a very dead tone voice that they should shoot Jeannie. And even if this was a joke, it's not a very good one. If my dad had made this comment to my mother, she would have been so mad. Or if I had heard that my dad had ever made this comment about me, I would be super upset. There are so many funny quips that could have been made here, including, well, if she isn't going to take having a car seriously, I say we give it to Ferris, which would pull in like actual things that happen in the movie instead of, I say we shoot our daughter. Now for Mrs. Bueller. I absolutely do not believe that a mother who was worried enough about their kid to go home and check on them during a lunch break wouldn't go in the room to feel their forehead or give them a kiss while they were asleep. No chance. Especially if she had any suspicion about Ferris faking sick. I did enjoy the horror movie music that plays during this scene, though. That was super clever. Then, when Mrs. Bueller goes to pick up Jeannie from the police station, that she is wholly unconcerned about being at because her daughter felt so unsafe at home that she made a phone call to the police in the first place and just goes along with this phony phone call thing. Why? Then she walks to get Jeannie and sees her kissing a random who knows how old guy at the police station and just tells Jeannie she wants to leave right now. No, who the bleep are you and get your hands off my daughter? No, Jeannie, what the bleep are you doing? Then Mrs. Bueller just reprimands Jeannie because she interrupted the workday and how could Jeannie make her lose a deal that was going to buy Ferris a car? No concern for Jeannie's well-being or questions about the rando she was making out with. Both terrible parents. Moving on to Jeannie. First question, how old is she? I feel like she is presented as an older sibling, but if Ferris is graduating, then she must be younger? The movie never provides any clarification, as far as I can tell. When I looked it up, the internet seems to have come to the consensus that Ferris and Jeannie are twins, which also doesn't make much sense to me. Because when that kid is collecting money for Ferris and Jeannie swats him away, that kid acts like he doesn't know who Jeannie is and acts like she doesn't know Ferris. If Ferris is so popular that the entire school knows him and loves him, they would also know who his twin sister was. Even if nobody liked Jeannie, they would know who she is. Apparently, this whole city is obsessed with Ferris, so even if they were not twins, people would know who Jeannie is. I think she really gets the short end of the stick in this entire movie. She is written as if she has no reason to be upset, but she is ignored or treated poorly by just about everybody. Except for a random older guy at the police station who gives her the tiniest shred of attention and she is over the moon about it. 
I am concerned for her future. I get her storyline of trying to catch Ferris ditching way more than the principals. Obviously, she wants her brother to have consequences for his actions for once in his life. But I also get that she thinks Rooney is a creep, and while she wants her brother to face some consequences, she also doesn't want him to be held back a year. Oh, sibling relationships. What a complicated, complicated thing. Alright, so on to Rooney, the other person trying to catch Ferris in the act of ditching. But why? I just do not understand why Rooney is so obsessed with this. Ferris cannot be the most important thing happening in your entire school. Plus, if he is graduating soon, why do you care so much? If you hate him, let him go off to college and be a horrible person there instead of continuing to plague your school. Plus, I feel like we are led to believe that Ferris's grades are fine, it's just the attendance that is in question. Most kids coast during their last semester of high school, why do you care if Ferris is too? Ferris does need to be held accountable for a lot of things, but I don't see how holding him back a year is going to help. I also don't see how any reasonable adult would make the choices that Rooney does. You're going to take off work to drive to the city and go around to random pizza places because that must be what the kids do when they skip. And when that fails, you're going to break into his house? Even if you do catch Ferris ditching, how are you going to come out as the good guy here, Rooney? Pretty sure as a parent, I would be way more concerned that the principal of my kid's school was obsessed enough with my child to break into my home over the skipping school part. Rooney also makes the choice to hurt their dog, so obviously he is a trash person. Plus, he sees who he believes to be Sloane's father making out with his daughter and is just like, huh, this is fine, instead of immediately placing a hotline to Child Protective Services. Like, this is way more important than Ferris ditching. Garbage human. Let's talk about the police force of this town as a character because they are making some wild choices. I just don't understand why they would assume Jeannie is making a fake phone call. Does she make false reports a lot? That is not indicated at all in this movie, so I don't know why her call for help is actively ignored and then without any investigation into the alleged break-in, she is detained and taken to the police station. Because if the police had looked around, they would have found an unconscious dog that had been knocked out by a flower pot and a man's wallet in the kitchen. Both suspicious. If they are going to the house to pick her up anyway, they seriously don't look into her claim at all? What? And then they just put Jeannie on a nice couch in the middle of the station with a random guy and leave them totally unsupervised? Pretty sure if you are trying to make out with the other detainees in the station, an officer is going to tell you to knock it off and then separate you if needed. Ah, uh, but I guess they are just too busy ticketing Rooney's car for the fifth, possibly even sixth time in like two hours. And getting it towed. In a residential area. Where there is a foot patrol. You absolutely cannot park in front of a fire hydrant, I get that, but this movie is trying to tell me that this police force is so busy ignoring 911 calls that they have all the time to check in on this car every five minutes to see if it moved in Chicago. The firefighters are just going to break the windows and run the hose through the car if they need to. 
This car cannot be the most important thing happening in this city. And if you're sitting there thinking, duh, Heather, this is a neighborhood well outside the city, so they're not as busy and this totally makes sense to me, then you are actively ignoring the time problems within this movie. Because we have to assume that they live close to the city for any of this to even maybe kind of a little bit make sense. High school typically starts at like 8 a.m. So Ferris somehow leisurely gets ready for the day, sets up fake sleeping Ferris, hacks into the school computer system, answers a bunch of phone calls from his parents and school people, convinces Cameron to come over, derives the scheme to get Sloan out of school, sets up his fake doorbell message, goes back to Cameron's house to get the Ferrari and set up his fake voicemail, gets Sloan from school, goes back to her house to set up the fake voicemail message, then drives to the city, gets lunch, goes to a baseball game, goes to the art museum, stars in a parade, then drives back from the city, goes hot tubbing, goes back to Cameron's and sits around trying to reverse the mileage on the car, somehow takes Sloan home, and then runs back to his house by six. How? Because the traffic alone, getting to and from the city, especially if they are leaving the city around rush hour, should have taken them forever in the city of Chicago. So either Ferris lives in the city already and the police should be way busier, or they live in a residential area well outside the city and it would have taken them over an hour to get to and from. Either way, it's dumb. Speaking of dumb, let's talk about the way they get Sloan out of school and just talk about poor Sloan, the most underwritten character in this film. Seriously though, do they not think that anyone is going to check up on her deceased grandma? Rooney thinks he gravely insulted her father, so I would assume he is going to try and apologize with like flowers or another phone call at a later date. Or the next time either of her parents are at the school, Rooney or Grace or the nurse or her teachers are going to try and give condolences for the loss and her parents are going Going to be super confused. Then, when a faculty member says, Well, Sloan was picked up early by you the other day, Mr. Peterson, her parents are going to freak out that the school let some random person pick up their daughter and take her out of school. Scheme foiled. Also, Sloan, darling, please don't marry Ferris. He is a manipulative narcissist who hits Cameron twice and then gaslights him into thinking he deserved it and uses that to talk Cameron into borrowing the Ferrari and Ferris has a terrible view of women that he talks about when he is talking about Cameron's future at the lake. Break up with him, finish school, and find someone else or just do something better with your life. Now for Cameron. Buddy, you need therapy. Obviously, there is some undiagnosed depression going on here, possibly the beginnings of Munchausen syndrome, if Ferris is to be believed that Cameron only feels better when he is sick or is faking sick to get attention in an obviously loveless household. So on top of Cameron having absent and cold parents, he has to deal with Ferris manipulating him all the time. You shouldn't have to think that hard about whether or not you want to go see your friend. 
nor should a friend be actively forcing you into situations that make you uncomfortable. Cameron, you were so right when you said that Ferris doesn't care about you. He is using you for his own agenda. And I know Ferris offers to take the blame for the car, and he should have. But Ferris is all, well, your dad already hates me, so I can take the fall. You don't want this much heat. And then Cameron feels the need to defend Ferris. Cameron is either going to get kicked out of his house or the angry cold parent thing is about to get much worse. And it is all Ferris's fault. But that doesn't matter at all to Ferris, who somehow makes a car appear out of thin air to drive Sloane home. Or do they walk? Or does Ferris somehow get Cameron to drive her home? Wait, mm, hang on. This is a pretty big plot hole. Ferris complains the whole movie about not having a car, which is why he needs Cameron to come and pick him up in the first place, and then we leave Cameron at home to wait for his dad and cut to Ferris and Sloane standing in her backyard. How the heck did they get there? Speaking of plot holes, when Ferris and Sloane decide to try and get Cameron out of his catatonic state by hot tubbing, whose house are they at? Cameron lives in the woods, the shot of Ferris and Sloane in her backyard doesn't show a pool, and we know Ferris doesn't have one based on the shots with Rooney in the backyard. So did they break into someone's house? Where else would they have gotten the towels, Pepsi, and that radio? And Sloane just wears a negligee under her clothes every day? Or did they steal that from inside the house too? And they are all magically dry in the next scene at Cameron's house. Two more things to mention about the car here. Number one, Reversing the mileage on this car by driving it in reverse should have worked, as stupid as that is. In older cars, the odometer was just a simple mechanical device that would have started to spin backwards when they did this. I cannot believe I had to look this up. And number two, how the heck did the guys from the garage put over 2,000 miles on this car in the span of, what, like four hours maybe? maybe six. I know Ferraris are fast, but I don't think that they can go 500 miles an hour. Now it is time to talk about the title character of the movie, Ferris Bueller. I think you all already have a pretty good understanding that I don't like him, but here are a few more reasons why. Ferris starts complaining about not getting a car and instead getting a computer from his parents. Stop being a brat and be grateful you got anything at all. Plus, if you already have enough of an understanding of computers to hack into the school system and change your attendance record, then you are going to be able to buy whatever you want real soon with the amount of money you're going to make in that field. I also do not understand why Ferris asked the guy at the garage if he speaks English and then looks to camera like that guy is being the a-hole in this exchange. Then Ferris is an even bigger a-hole to the guy at the restaurant where that plan definitely would not have worked. I know the host was also being rude, but Ferris, even though he states, you can never go too far, is definitely going too far here. Also, how are they paying for this place? If there are people wearing tuxedos at the lunch service here, then it is definitely way too expensive for some high school kids. Especially if Ferris is trying to tip slash bribe people with $5 bills, like that's a lot of money. And paying for everything else that they're doing today? How did he get all of this money? I understand that his family is obviously set up to be affluent, but just going through that whole day, what that even might have cost him is several hundred dollars. 
lunch, ball game, museum, taxis, parking in the garage. Did he save up all of his birthday money for several years just to splurge today? Because he definitely doesn't have a job. He has way too much of a rich white kid who is handed everything attitude. I will give Ferris props for the water rescue though. Seriously, it would have been super hard to pull Cameron up from the bottom of the pool like that. So even though Ferris otherwise sucks, I will give him credit for that. But there is zero chance that Ferris is allowed on this parade float. Or, okay, maybe he's allowed to get up and wave, but absolutely zero chance is he allowed to perform on it, especially if somebody else was supposed to be performing. They are not going to give up their chance on stage for this random kid. However, playing Twist and Shout definitely would get a crowd hyped up this much. For sure. I also wanted to point out that, number one, those kids in the group of dancers that come down the stairs, they look so nervous and like they're trying so hard to do good and it's very cute. And B, the kid they show with the grumpy face and his hands over his ears, I feel you kid. Enough of this Ferris guy. You get it. (laughs) Okay, I think that's it. I would not watch this movie again. I'm not sure why people like it so much. I am sure people will try and convince me otherwise. Thank you for joining me this episode and I hope you enjoyed it or are at least not too mad at me for probably disliking your favorite movie. As always, I am very sorry, not sorry about that. Please don't forget to subscribe, share this podcast with your people, write me a review, and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at heyhaveyouseen underscore or send me an email at heyhaveyouseenpod at gmail.com. Have a lovely, wonderful, fantastic day, and join me next time for yet another movie that I have not seen. For those of you who are still listening, the actual calculation for the mileage, just in case you were curious, comes out to 2,891 miles of difference between what Cameron says and what the odometer shows, and I just wanted everyone to know that I actually did sit here and calculate that. I wasn't guessing. Okay, that's the end for real. Goodbye.